This is The Unseen, and I'm your host, Mike Cleland. This week, it is my honor to be talking with Laura Bruno. Laura is a medical intuitive consultant, energy healer, tarot reader, astrologer, artist, life coach, and Reiki healer. Um, She actually does a bit more than that, but for now, that short list will do. Laura was also featured in a chapter in my book, Stories from the Messengers. This chapter was titled, Owls and Healing, and this is the theme of this entire episode. Now, the show you are about to hear might seem a little bit, well, selfish on my part. I took it upon myself to, um, I guess, take advantage of Laura's skills So I guess, in a way, you'll be listening to a therapist and a client. That's sort of how it plays out, and I appreciate Laura coming on and letting me sort of be her client, be her patient. Now, that said, we certainly cover how Laura got into this work and her own life experiences. This audio interview was recorded on Thursday, August 15th, 2019. Please enjoy. Laura, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to it. Good, and I have been too. Um, So just so folks know, Laura and I met through an owl story, and we can talk about that shortly. I don't want to make this show too much about owls. I don't want to get stuck in that niche. I'm already stuck in that niche. I don't want to cement myself in that niche. But you are a medical intuitive. Yes. And what does that mean? Well, it it means slightly different things depending on who you ask. For me, it is translating what the body is saying into words. Uh, It's also scanning people's energy and seeing things on mental, emotional, spiritual, physical levels, um, just kind of... I don't really know how I do what I do, but the information comes through. Well, I want to hear more. I mean, what type of things are you actually hearing and what type of things are you actually sensing when you do your medical intuitive work? Well, so I do a lot of work with people that have Lyme disease. I work with other people as well, but for some reason that seems to be a big niche for me. And Lyme is very much an illness that reflects what's going on on the soul level. And I tend to get a lot of soul messages for all kinds of things. A lot of people think of the body, if you're having illness or you're having symptoms, that it's betraying you, that, oh, my, you know, my body's not working or my, my body's messed up. And I don't look at it that way because what I find is that the body is actually speaking for the soul, that a lot of times you'll get kind of little messages of, hey, you know, this isn't really true for you or this isn't really your path. And most people tend to ignore that if it's not convenient or if it's very different from what they're already doing. And depending on 
long and, and what is being ignored, those messages start getting louder and louder. And sometimes you start having dreams. Sometimes you start having people saying those things to you. But if it continues, then the body steps in and says, oh, I'll get their attention and comes out with a symptom. And oftentimes the symptoms in the body are very cliche in their messages. And I think they're meant to be because by the time it gets to that physical level to grab your attention, it's really trying to get your attention. So it's not trying to be super mysterious. It's trying to give you a metaphor for what's needing to shift in your larger life. And do you have an example of this in some like one person or like you can, you don't have to use any names or you can kind of. So, well, so, okay. So for hip issues, for example, Um, A lot of times people will call me for something else and I'll pick up that they have all these other things going on in their lives that are different than the reason that they're calling. And then they'll say, oh, well, you know, I don't even know why I'm telling you this, but my hip hurts. And, And that will just be a bingo for me because what happens with a hip, uh, oftentimes with a, a hip pain or kind of a, arthritic hip or when the hip is out of joint, a lot of times what's going on in someone's life is they're in the middle of starting to make a change and it's like they've almost taken the step forward, but they haven't put their foot down yet. And if you think about if you were trying to take a step and you lift your leg and you go to put it down, but then you lift it back and you go to put it down and you lift it back and you're kind of hemming and hawing in some area of life, a lot of times that ends up expressing itself as hip pain because your leg is almost going through that motion and the is a metaphor, but it shows up in your hip. Does that make sense? Oh, sure, sure. And then as far as something like um, Lyme disease, like have you had a success rate? Do you feel you've had a success rate in, I don't want to say curing, but let's say alleviating the the issues? I do have uh, clients that have either completely healed or who are basically living above the symptoms. I talk a lot about, I kind of call it bumper bowling, that when you get much more on your, on your life path, because Lyme does tend to really push people into living for the reason that their soul came here. Oftentimes, these are very talented people, and it's easy for them to do other things, and so they're not really doing why they came here. And Lyme comes along and takes away all those other things, and then you're left with, oh, okay, I guess I have to do this. And you find that that's the thing that you really want to do. But what happens is as the symptoms start to drop away, they become, you know, uh, when children go bowling and they blow up those inflatable things that go down the, um, the gutters, and it's so that you can't get a gutter ball. And so the symptoms kind of become like that, that you're doing fine within this bandwidth of what your life path is, and then wham, you, you walk into a symptom when you start getting off path and the symptom is almost like, uh, you know, the, the little rubber tube going down the gutter, putting you back in so that you're staying in the lane. And when people start looking at it like that, their attitude towards the symptoms also shifts because there's a lot of fear of, oh, no, you know, it's coming back. What am I going to do? I'm, I'm going to be in pain all the time. And if you just look at it as a quick message and you take the message, then it doesn't need to keep coming at you that way. 
Now, I, I'm looking at my own life in a way where I had uh, issues of severe clinical depression. Mm-hmm. And um, it came at a point when I changed my life. And I was working as a yuppie in New York City. And then I changed my life and started doing outdoor work. Um, the The darkest points of the clinical depression came before I started doing the, the outdoor work. But it felt like I was, I was being, I guess I had to change my life to fit a certain calling, to be my truest self, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and as I emailed you before we talked, when I looked at your natal chart, you are definitely here with a mission. I mean, you, I, I'm not surprised that life would have said, okay, we're going to get you on track one way or another, because it's very strong in your chart and and you're doing what you were here to do. Well, I feel like it's a lot of work still doing what I might be here to do, which is this, <laughs> I feel like my life has shifted greatly in the last six or seven years. So that will be in the last half hour of the show. We can talk about a combination of your work is how it overlaps. And I guess in a way what I'll be doing is using myself as an example okay. for you to um, astrology reading. Mm, okay. Now, you wrote a book about your brain injury. You had a brain injury in the 1990s. Mm-hmm, 1998. Can you tell us about that? And that also intertwines with an owl experience. And that's actually how we met from that owl story. Right. So, so this is kind of a life path story for me. I was on a graduate school track. I had intended to get a master's degree and a PhD in English language and literature. And as I was applying to graduate schools, got the message, this is not your path, applied anyway, because I didn't know what else I was going to do. And then... Oh, 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 well, let me interrupt. How did you get that message? Uh, it came in dreams. It came as nudges. It, when I was journaling, I would be writing, this is not my path. So, um, yeah. And, and I, but I had my family, especially my father, telling me, this is your only path. This is the only way that you can stay sane in this world. It's, you would make a perfect absent-minded professor, and this is what you're going to do. And I just, I loved reading, but it just, it wasn't the right thing for me. And I got into the various schools. I got my master's degree at University of Chicago. Absolutely hated it. But I thought, oh, it's the school, and so I took time off. And towards the end of that time off was when I had the brain injury. I had reapplied to graduate schools. I had gotten in. I had the scholarship, the fellowship. Everything was accepted. My apartment was ready to roll. And then I was stopped at a red light, and two cars ahead of me were stopped as well. The light turned green. I remember that. And then I remember hearing this really loud smash and thinking, oh, somebody really got it. And then I woke up to all these honking horns. And so what I pieced together is that the woman behind me saw the green light and then didn't realize that the cars were still stopped and just threw my car, I don't know, 20 yards forward or something. So I couldn't read after that. And that was kind of life's very obvious message that this was no real accident because here I was going to get a PhD in English language and literature and uh, all of a sudden I couldn't read. So um, 
it took me a while to accept it. On, on the intuitive level, I got it immediately. Uh, but on the other levels, it took a while for that to kind of come in. Um, the thing that happened was that I had horrible, horrible migraine headaches and no filter at all. So this intuition I've had since I was a child. I mean, when I would go around and see how people were behaving, I would warn adults, you know, this little eight-year-old warning adults and saying, you better be careful. You, you need to change your behavior. If you don't change your behavior, then you're going to get a thyroid problem or whatever it was, and, and then they would. And so that was, I learned early on, you know, you keep those things to yourself because otherwise people think you're cursing people or something. But after the brain injury, I couldn't read. I had no rational side, but all of this intuitive stuff got way, way stronger. And so it became very obvious that that was what I was supposed to be doing. Well, let me interrupt one little thing, because this is, uh, you were featured in a chapter in my second book, Stories from the Messengers. That chapter is called Owls and Healing. And the morning of your accident, you had a dream, didn't you? Well, I had a recurring dream leading up to the accident. And then the morning of the accident, I, I guess I probably had a dream, but I don't remember the dream itself. I just woke up knowing that I was going to have an accident that day. Uh, but I was in a hotel room for work. And specifically, it, it was telling me, just don't leave the hotel room today. You're going to have an accident. And I, I thought, well, I, I can't call into work and just say, oh, I have a funny feeling about driving today. I had appointments and everything in Connecticut later that day, so I really needed to get going. And so that's why I drove so carefully that day, but it still got me at a red light. <laughs> so it's like I did nothing wrong. I wasn't even moving, but there I was stopped at a red light, couldn't move forward because there were two people ahead of me and someone behind me sees it turn green and smashes it into me. Okay. Yes. Fair enough. Yes. This is this is very interesting. So your intuitive side was free, and your rational side was somehow shut down. Yeah, it it was shut down for about four years. And then during that time, you had an owl experience. Mm hmm. Yeah. So I, I had all kinds of visual complications and short-term memory issues where I would walk somewhere and not know how I got there, which was kind of alarming. And I was falling a lot. And so my parents decided that I had to go stay with them for about six weeks and just so that they could keep an eye on me. But what happened was I would be at their house when they were at work and I'd wake up and go make a little scone and have a, like a drink of tea or something on the back patio. And this owl, well, first I felt it. And, and then I, I thought I saw it, but really my vision was so messed up at that time and my brain was not really working very well. So for a long time, I wasn't really sure that it was an owl. They have all these trees at, at the far back of their backyard and this owl just came out and it would sit on a branch every single day. And it, it wouldn't be out there until I got out there. It would come a few minutes after I got out there. So it was almost like it was showing up when I showed up. This was going on for a few weeks, I think. And then it happened on the weekend and my mom happened to be home. And she just 
went nuts. You know, oh, Laura, look, there's an owl, a great horned owl out back. And and I just said, oh, yeah, yeah, he sits with me whenever I come out here. And she was like, what? <laughs> so, but I, until then, I really wasn't sure that the owl was in this dimension or, you know, my my vision was just so off and I was living in a half dream world. So I really wasn't sure if it was a real owl or a spirit owl or what was going on, but it was a real owl. So an owl shows up during your healing process mm-hmm. and that owl later seemingly showed up in the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was, there in January, it was it January 2010, I think, and I went to visit my parents. I was in the middle of getting divorced at the time I was living in Northern California, and I flew to Pennsylvania just to stay there, and I had a dream of, I, I wasn't sure if they were, it was like these cat-like things, but that they, they made these kind of, Oh, it was like they did a mating dance, and I don't remember the exact dream. You have it in the in the book, but it was very specific markings. And then, um, and the owls were hooting when I was there. And my mom said that she knew that I was going to call her. That there was something really going on with me when I called to say I was getting divorced because she had been hearing the owl, which they called Laura's owl. So I had this dream, and I came down, and I I told my parents about it, and my mom went upstairs and was folding laundry and looking out the window and saw these markings in the snow that were just like what I had seen in in my dream. And so, and, it, and you wrote about this shortly, I, I think shortly thereafter. It's on a blog post on your blog, mm-hmm. and it was an infinity symbol that that was in your dream. They created an infinity symbol. Yeah. And that's what your mother, if I remember correctly, that's what your mother saw in the snow. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it was really clear from, from above. And, and there were no tracks leading up to it. So it was obviously some kind of bird. And when we went out and looked at it, I mean, you could kind of see where the wings had touched down too. So pretty sure that it was an owl because that was right in the area where my mom would see the owl sometimes when I was gone. And then also just she had been hearing the hooting the whole time that that I was there and and supposedly they mate around that time so um it may have been some sort of a mating ritual but yeah it was like an infinity symbol in the snow and a great horned owl is certainly very cat like mhm yep so that's how we met and that it's so funny and one of the problems with trying to do this sort of work is that these knots get so tightly tangled that it's tough to pull on one thread because you're not sure what happened when and where and um you and i exchanged fleeting messages i think back in like 2013 or something like that and i don't think we ever actually responded to each other but you were in my email inbox and i was in your email inbox and i left a comment Uh on that blog post because that was just in the early phase of my own owl madness there Mm -hmm. so yes owls and healing i definitely sense that the owls i don't necessarily think they are the totem of healing but i certainly sense that they are a portent or a sign of something very challenging and they are not an easy totem let me put it that way they 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 come with a challenge associated the challenge doesn't make it bad but that's from my research and from all the owl stories i've heard i feel safely that i can say that without you know, talking out of my hat too much. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I would definitely agree. We have reached the first 15-minute mark, 
At this point, we will need to take a short break. For non-members, there will be a few commercials. But for members, we'll be right back. We are back on The Unseen, and my guest, Laura Bruno, is an intuitive healer, and she's had a lot of very powerful experiences. Now, I'm really cautious to put too much emphasis on the UFO stuff, but but you have an interesting UFO sighting as a teenager that involves a lightning strike. Could you tell that story? Yeah. So when I was in middle school and high school, I was on swim teams. I was on teams during the school year and then summer swim teams. And so we had all these different swim meets and, you know, some of the swim meets were in different places and we carpooled. So I was with my friend's mom and there were four or five of us in the car, I think four. And we were stopped at a light and I just, like the hair on the back of my neck kind of stood up, so I I was paying a little extra attention. And I looked out the window, and there was this UFO. And, and I, I'm forgetting which order this occurred in, whether the lightning strike came first or whether the UFO came first. I think the UFO came first. But it was a, a very odd thing because we all then looked out the window and I remember the woman driving me, Just she said, oh, you know, it's a UFO. And I, it, was, so it was like we all had this mutual agreement that there was a UFO, but it was just this very matter-of-fact exchange, like, oh, look, there's a UFO. Uh-huh, yep. And then, but my hand was hanging out the window, and this lightning strike came and struck maybe six feet or so from the window and my hand tingled for a couple weeks afterwards and that hand even to this day when I'm teaching Reiki classes or anything the person that I talk with my hands a lot and if somebody is is in line of that hand they will feel blasted by the energy coming from that hand so I've had healing energy come from that hand too but um, but the UFO experience was strange because normally you would think that when you see a UFO, it, you get very excited or it's strange or something. And all of us were just like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, there's a UFO over there and, and just went on with our day. And that's actually within the, the research and such. That's pretty normal for people to have an unusual reaction to seeing a UFO. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I, and I loved the fact that you're now doing. So would you call what you do at a times hands on healing? Um, well, I, I do a lot of it not in person, so I don't think that I can really call it hands-on healing, although Reiki can be a hands-on healing. So I, I learned Reiki and I teach Reiki healing in part just so that I had a label for what I do. I mean, obviously I've, I was doing this kind of stuff before I did Reiki, but I guess you could call it hands-on healing, although I've been told by a lot of people and this was before I believed in anything like this. I was a huge skeptic. My dad was a physicist, and you know, my mom was kind of fundamentalist Christian. So this kind of stuff was not—it wasn't real welcome in my family. So when I had the brain injury, nobody could figure out how to treat me, and I eventually, through a long series of synchronicities, wound up in Seattle working with a um, holistic optometrist and herbalist and he did craniosacral therapy all this other kind of stuff but he was basically a shaman and 70 some years old 
And when I first went there, I was just trying to get back to graduate school because I still didn't really want to think of this other life path. So after I treated there for several weeks, he, he said, well, you know, if, if this graduate school thing doesn't work out for you, you can always come back here because I need to give my practice to someone. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm an English major. And he said, no, no, you, you have this energy about you. The next three people in the room recover remarkably well after you're, you're in here. And I was like, well, no, it's you. You're really good at what you do. I'm getting well. And, and I guess they had noticed this, and so they were experimenting with it because I used to go in three days a week. And so they would purposely have three different people after me each of the times, which, I, I mean, it, they went to a fair amount of trouble to figure this all out. And so by the time he said anything to me, they were already very certain that the next three people after me somehow would make a big jolt in their recovery. So I did end up by way of Evanston, Illinois, where I tried to go to graduate school and got other treatment. I did end up going back to Seattle and working for this guy. He was the person that first hired me as a medical intuitive. So so I don't know if it's hands-on or just my energy or I'm, I'm not really sure exactly how it all works. It just seems to. Well, your hand got zapped in the presence of a UFO. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm making that leap a little bit. So I just, as a writer, when I was writing that story, I was like, oh, yes, yes, the lightning bolt. So you're healing. And so I, I wanted to play that up more. And you, you basically gave me the same story when I confronted you with that. Because I, what I wanted to do was just to say your hand now has magical powers. But that's not quite the way it played out. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know either. I don't know either. But it is wonderful. It's a wonderful story that your tingly hand after the UFO lightning zap, and now you're doing this healing work. Mm-hmm. When you and I first talked, there was a point, you know, it was actually when I was working on the first book I, of the two books, and I wanted to include your story. And I kind of asked you about it. And you said, no, no way. You are not including my story. And then we just kept in touch over the years. And I actually did a Tarot reading with you going back a couple of summers, well, three or four summers now. And um, I kept on kind of amassing stuff and I would ask you questions. And there was a point when I was actually, with your full permission, I was recording some of our conversations and transcribing them. But at the same time, you're like, oh no, you're not going to do a chapter on me. And little by little, it came around and you eventually said yes. Now, what I was seeing during that time in your life, and there's some personal issues, we don't have to go through any of that. It's it's hinted at in the chapter, but this is, it's obviously private, but I saw you change. I watched you change and life issues for yourself had, had arisen. And I will say that I watched you go through your own healing process during the few years that we were talking and, and I was writing your chapter. Mm-hmm. And I found this transition really remarkable and heartening. And the story and the theme of healing was was interwoven throughout this entire book. Yeah, and and I don't really I was thinking about this because I knew you were going to ask this question and and I don't really know what switched, but it, it was a gradual process. I know some of it was doing a lot more with the land. We we moved to very very just broken land flat ugly land in 
uh, Goshen, Indiana, where David's parents were, and I just felt called that I had to heal this land. And so I was planting it and gardening in it and just pouring myself into the land and watching the land come back to life. And somehow that had a transformative effect on me as well. And then I just kept having owl synchronicities with you. And finally I thought, well, I, okay, I guess this is just one of those things that it's, I'm just going to have to be in his book because they're just going to keep sending me the synchronicities until I say yes. Well, that's how I wrote the book, too. They kept on sending me the synchronicities until I said yes. So, <laughs> Last week, I interviewed an author named Preston Dennett, and he wrote a book about UFOs and how people are healed in the presence of a UFO. And he has 300 accounts, and some of these are remarkable stories, and some of them are actually sort of benign, you know, people being cured of the common cold or sinus issues. Now, we talked about this on the show with him last week, and I brought up you and your experience in a way, and you're not the only one, obviously, but what seems to have happened is it's not the direct healing from the UFO, right? So people are on board a craft, let's say, they leave the craft and then they, they're healed of an ailment. There's a lot of stories like that. But what's happening is people who have UFO contact, whether it's through a UFO sighting or from a lifetime of of let's say, abduction or contact. And these people then turn to healers. Some of the healers that I mean, I've talked with, you know, they're straight up nurses, a lot of Reiki healers. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of Reiki healers. When I, you know, when I talk to people on the phone, I just have a pad of paper and I take some notes and I just write Reiki in the corner and I just wait for him to say it. And then I just circle it. <laughs> and it is so normal. I mean, I don't know how many, what percentage of the Reiki, what percentage of the population are Reiki practitioners. But let me tell you, they are a extremely, absurdly high percentage of the people who have, well, I'll narrow that down a little bit. They're a high percentage of the people who end up contacting me, let me put it that way. So that usually mm -hmm. involves an owl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I find that, I so I train a lot of Reiki master teachers. A lot of people who are Reiki master teachers, they'll teach levels one and two, but they for whatever reason, don't teach level three master teacher. And so I, I get kind of an inside glimpse because not only do I have my own students, but I have students who took their levels one and two with different Reiki master teachers. So I hear all kinds of stories and, yeah, really interesting people that end up becoming Reiki master teachers and, and actually using it in in life, you know, to help other people and, train other people, but there's always some sort of connection with owls or it's not always owls. Sometimes it's crows, but it's usually owls. And oftentimes UFO stories or some kind of odd, I, I get a lot of people that have seen orbs or have orbs on their property. So sometimes I think we're seeing the same kinds of things, but people just see them in different filters. Oh, I agree. I agree. In fact, I'm I'm not chained to the UFO, right? I mean, I, I feel like the UFO is part of a of a larger umbrella phenomena that we're that we're that I'm struggling to make sense of, and I suspect I'll never fully understand it. I, I I've given up hope on ever fully understanding it. But what I can say is that, like, I recognize the similarities between well, an orb by definition is a UFO. It's an unidentified flying object, but Totem animals, prophetic dreams. Um, I mean, people taking hallucinogenics can often have very, very powerful life-changing experience. So there's these things that 
can be transformative. So yes, yeah, seeing a UFO can be transformative. And I can, I, from direct, from directly talking to many people, seeing an owl can be transformative too. Mm -hmm. People's lives have been changed by seeing an owl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Hey, I hate to do this, but we are at the end of the 30 minute mark and we need to take a short break. At this point, we're going to say goodbye to the free Dreamlanders. We've reached the end of the free interview portion. But for members, this is only the halfway mark. We will be right back. We are back on the unseen with our guest, Laura Bruno. She is an intuitive healer. Uh, you also do Reiki work, and you also do astrology work. Now, this is part of the reason you actually, out of the blue, contacted me and just and were like, what was that date? What was the date of that thing? I want to look this up on your, your chart. <laughs> and you were talking about my what I've been calling my confirmation event. I had a very powerful experience and I talked about, I've talked about it on a handful of these shows and I don't want to go too much into it, but it was on March 10th, 2013. It was late at night. So it might've been very early in the morning on March 11th of 2013. And then you went and looked that up on my chart and I would love, I have, I, you sent me some stuff I read skimmed through it. That's why I skimmed through it. But what did you find? as far as my life chart and that and that date in particular? Well, so your life chart was very interesting because I don't even, I, you know, this must just be one of those synchronicities or nudges or something just that we were supposed to have this conversation. But I, I kept seeing that there was this, this aspect in your natal chart. And when I pulled it up, my eye went right to it. And then when I looked up your confirmation event, that's the very point that was being activated really, really strongly that night. So um, you have a first house Jupiter conjunct Chiron. And what that means is, so when you do an astrological chart, it's divided into 12 houses. And each of the 12 houses represents something. So like your second house represents your values and your body. Your first house is kind of more who you are and your identity, the, the way that you are welcomed into the world. Um, there's other, other things with that as well. But you've got Saturn, the planet Saturn and your south node right near your rising sign, your ascendant. And then you've got this Jupiter and Chiron. So Jupiter is a planet of expansion. It expands everything that it touches and Chiron is the wounded healer and um, and so when I looked at that it I just felt like oh this is a sensitive spot for you in the sense that Chiron in, in all of our charts that's kind of our primal wound but it's also our potential to turn that woundedness into something that helps other people so on the night of this uh, confirmation event for you, you just had just transits all over the place. And in the weeks leading up to that time period, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight planets had either just crossed over that point or were just hovering right near it. So this, this spot for you, this kind of primal wound but also big life purpose for why you're here 
was getting really strongly activated. All the planets, and we call everything in astrology a planet, even if it's an asteroid, all of the planets have a particular type of energy. And um, in fact, before I started doing astrology, I would just sense these energies and astrology was like a light bulb moment for me because I suddenly had names for what I was sensing. So you had you had seven Jupiter transits going on at that time. And so... Oh, here, let me just let me interrupt, because just I know almost nothing about... I actually, I, I'll amend that. I know nothing about astrology. So what does that mean to have that many transits? So it's unusual to have as many as you had. I mean, pretty much every planet that could be activating things in your chart was activating things in your chart at that time. But when you see a lot of Jupiter transits in particular, and what a, what a transit means is, so you have your natal chart, which doesn't change. That's where everything was relative to where you were born at the time of birth. But transits are what's going on in the sky now relative to your planet of birth. So it makes angles to the planets at birth. And even though it's, it's a lot of math, I mean, they have, computers that can calculate it and everything. But it's all, it seems very abstract, except that it has very specific effects in people's lives consistently. And so one of the things that's very common when you see a lot of intense Jupiter transits is because it's a planet of expansion, it, it has other meanings too. Often it's a, a good luck planet. Um, higher philosophy planet. But when you have a lot of Jupiter transits, there's sometimes a death, sometimes a, a literal physical death in the sense that the soul is just expanded out of its little body. But oftentimes there's a kind of metaphorical death and, and rebirth in the sense of you've just outgrown whatever the old paradigm was for you. Um, so I, I don't remember exactly what was going on for you at that time. Do you want to share a little bit about kind of what you had yeah oh yes oh yes now so just heads up some of the listeners i've repeated this story a handful of times in the i've only been on the air here on whitley's network or i guess his site for just a few months now but on that night i was coming home from a ufo conference and i was sleeping out under the stars i was living at the time in idaho and to get from where the conference was in phoenix arizona to where I live in Idaho, you got to drive through Utah. So there was a spot, and actually it's very odd because I knew I was going to be sleeping in this area. I kind of had driven over a mountain pass years previous, and I remember thinking, this is pretty. And I was thinking, well, on the drive home, I bet you I find a good spot there. And I did, and it was kind of like I visualized, and it almost matched perfectly the way I visualized where I would be sleeping. It was a, just off a U.S. highway. Off a, off a, actually, it would have been a Utah highway, which was it was only about three miles or so from I-15, which is the main corridor that goes from Las Vegas to Salt Lake City. I laid my sleeping bag down in the dirt, and I the sun was down. It was a cold night. It was March, so it was just, you know, there was still snow on the, near the bushes and stuff where I was sleeping. And I rolled over in the middle of the night, and I looked up on this hillside, and I said to myself, that looks just like a landed flying saucer sitting up on that hillside. And I, I was kind of going to the UFO conferences, and I felt like I was pretty, like, 
psychically groovy, you know, like I was a strict vegetarian and everything. <laughs> so I kind of went like, if you're a, if you're a flying saucer, I should know it. I should be able to intuit what you are. So I just kind of laid there and kind of focused on it and kind of tried to sense anything. I felt nothing. And I just went, huh. And I rolled over and went to sleep. And I woke up three times that night. And, and a second time I woke up and there was a coyote right near my head, howling away. I don't understand why I could not see it. It was so close. Mm. I thought it was so magical. And so, yes, I, and now, years later, I don't know what to think. I would have to guess that there was no coyote, that that was some sort of audio projection. I woke up a third time and there was a bush right near me. And on the other side of the bush was a, a glow. And this was like right at my feet. Like I could literally kick this bush with my feet the way it was positioned. And and I was like, well, that that shouldn't be a car over there. That doesn't look like a car headlight. It doesn't look like someone with a flashlight. It doesn't look like, you know, if you parked a car there and opened your car door, the glow from the, from the dome light in the cab, it didn't look like that either. And I sat up and I was just like, huh, there's a bright glow on the other side of this bush in the middle of the desert in Utah. I just laid down and went back to sleep. So the next morning, I thought to myself, I wonder if I was had contact last night. And I drove home and didn't think much about it. I was in a good mood. There was no fear associated with this night at all. I got home and I, I drew a picture of the roundhouse and wrote a little essay about it and posted it on the blog. And then the next day, I was standing by my desk and I had this psychic vision of these three events, boom, boom, boom. And I had this vision of a map of Southern Utah and there was a perfectly straight line in these three basically pushpin dots, like a, like a map maker would use, were on this straight line. And I lined up three experiences. One was the experience I just told you. And I lined up two other experiences that lined up perfectly on this map. And this was, I was using Google Maps as a, a map program. And I mean, I could zoom in, right? So you have two events at each end, right? So you just pull a, you pull a string really tight and it makes a perfectly straight line. So it's any two points will make a perfectly straight line. The one in the middle, which was an event where I was lying in the, on the ground and heard an owl. Once again, I was so close and so loud. I don't understand why I didn't see it. And that was right outside the very, very small town of Boulder, Utah on the Burr Trail Road. And I can't help but see the similarities between that owl and that coyote. I heard it. I never saw it. It was so loud. I don't understand why I couldn't see it. It was so loud. And then while I was listening to that owl, I have a friend. Her name is Natasha. She was like walking around in the starlight. She was like amazed. She was like, I was, it was so magical. It felt like I was sparkling. That's what she said. And while she was out walking, she saw a glowing orb floating across the sagebrush and that eventually kind of exploded in a flash. And she ran back and told me. So she saw a UFO as I was listening to an owl that was in the center. And I, you could zoom in to where I was lying in the sand on Google Maps, and you could make that line one pixel thick, and it lined up to where I was lying in the sand between those two outstretched points. Both of those outstretched points play out very strongly, like direct UFO contact. Abduction would be the word. Now, after I saw that those three lines in a map, it was just like, oh, oh, my old life is over. My new life has begun. Like, this is so 
Like, this is, I cannot deny this. I cannot say it's my imagination. These three things lined up on a map, and it, and and now I'm in this new chapter of my life. It was that profound. It was like I knew it in that moment. Like, oh, every bit of doubt, every bit of denial is gone. And now I'm on this new path. And I started writing the Owl book probably that day. And was that after the March 10th to 11th, 13th? That was the March 10th event where I slept under the stars. Okay. Yep. So it would have been March 12th when I had the the psychic vision. Yeah. So the thing that I that I was telling you in the email was you had all these transits going on, but I look for, so there's like the longer term things, but then what are the faster planets doing when you have this really sudden moment? And so you had all these other planets that were aspecting things, and in particular, uh, Jupiter had returned to that Jupiter so that it was like squaring the Jupiter and Chiron in your chart, that very sensitive point that I was talking about. Mercury was crossing right over it during that time, and Mercury is literally the messenger and so i just i don't know for me that was my moment when i looked at your chart and i was like oh my gosh (laughs) because i mean your your books being called the messengers and that being the moment where where you just got that message and and then the days following as it continued to aspect that point i just find that's kind of uncanny so yeah to tell this story properly, I could go on for the next two hours. There are so many synchronicities tied to every single thing I talked about. I mean, there is a thread that you could pull on and it just gets weirder and weirder and weirder, all centered around this date. And I will, once again, I'm going to say this again, there was no fear associated with anything in this story. I was lying there looking at this, but it sure looked like a landed flying saucer. I felt nothing. I felt no fear. I was listening to a coyote that could have like licked my face as far as how it (laughs) felt. It was that close and I felt no fear at all. And then there was like, I'm out in the desert alone and there's this glow behind a bush and I'm like, huh, a glow behind a bush. I'm just going to go back to sleep. So I was in a place of absolute contentment with all these events. Yeah, and and I find that true. I mean, I've had a lot of very, very strange events, some of which I haven't even told you and even to say, well, this happened, but don't put it in the book, but this happened. I mean, I've just had so many weird events that sometimes I forget about them until something reminds me of them. But the same kind of thing, it's it's almost this surreal calm. And you're going through and you you know that you're witnessing something that's really bizarre, and oftentimes for me, there's other people around that are corroborating it. So it's it's not just me being, you know, out there. But there is, there's just sort of this strange sense of calm. And then maybe you, you are startled later when you realize just how many things had to come together to make that happen. But it is pretty awe-inspiring. Hey, and so for yourself, have you ever dug into your own chart and, and played the same game you you sort of just did on me? Yeah, so part of the reason, I mean, I've studied astrology for 12 years, kind of dabbled in it, then dabbled in it more seriously, then more, then more. And I just, I've always wished that I had someone that could do for me what I do for other people. 
because it's not just the medical intuitive work that I do. It's, it's a lot of soul work. So when people are going through a dark night of the soul or they're going through something that just seems like it's a very strange end, you know, like, oh, I thought I was going to count on this and, and now it's all different. I'm able to see the bigger picture and the pattern of that in other people. But I can't always see it in myself, especially if I have a lot of emotional attachment to whatever's going on. So um, I lost a, a dear friend. Uh, we had a, a good friend who died of a heart attack in December 2017. And um, we had gotten, all of us had gotten little nudges that in retrospect, it was like, oh, of course, he was getting ready to die. But we just thought he was getting ready to go through a big change. And it was just for me, I'm not surprised very often. I mean, just it's very difficult to surprise me because I'm so intuitive. And it just totally blindsided me. And so I didn't know what to make of it. And, um, and so I started really studying astrology much more deeply. And that was what just made me able to understand not only that, but I went back and looked at all of these big events in my life. And I was able to go, oh, okay, so... When Pluto's doing this or when something's crossing my north node, you know, I, I feel it and I feel it in a in a very big way. So it's it's made sense of a lot of things for me. I'm sorry about your friend. Yes. I mean that's something that I've actually I, I will say this straight up. Doing this owl work, I have I have lost much of my fear of death. Mm -hmm. Just from the accounts I've heard. Yeah, I never had a fear of death. Like, I, I was that weird kid that used to talk to the dead, and I didn't think anything of it until the people around me thought that it was weird. And so I've never, I never really have that kind of reaction when someone dies. But it just, I think it was the surprise of it, and then there was a whole bunch of past life stuff But um, that I realized afterwards that this, so remember I contacted you, this is another weird thing, remember I contacted you a while back because I had read in Jeffrey Kripal's book about the authors that, that are precognitive, and, and I was asking you if, if you knew how to stop that because I felt like everything that I wrote was coming true. So I, part of the, the astrology and this death experience and... Um, a lot of things I realized, oh, the reason that this is happening is the story is trying to come out. And it it wasn't a story that I was writing. It was a story that I had lived. It was this historical fiction that I thought I was writing the novel. And then I realized, oh, okay, there's a lot more here. So anyway, I, I, it helped me get a lot of peace through the astrology because it's kind of like the verification of my right brain. It was a lot easier to do intuitive work and not question it when I had a brain injury. But when my left brain came back and I, and I did fully heal from the injury, I was still as intuitive as I was when I had the injury. But then the left brain's there going, is that really true? That sounds kind of crazy. And so I found that astrology makes me able to go, oh, okay, there, left brain, now you're satisfied, and here's the right brain interpretation. So it's it's kind of like a whole brain practice for me. I Yes, I get that more than you can know. I struggle with that even now. I mean, I'm, I've fully had the experiences that, like, I got no doubt, but I still, like, oh, <laughs> could it really happen? Did it really happen? I mean, so I guess we're burdened with that in a way, and that's our, you know, but... I 
I have gotten so much better at just, and that's the same, you used the term just now, like metaphor and, and like, it just feels like a script writer is allowed to put these kind of heavy handed foreshadowing things in. Mm-hmm. But when it shows up in real life, we deny it, right? We see it in fiction. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I get it. It's like good writing, you know? And both we see it in real life, we figure out a way to deny it. My sense is that life is unfolding with all the drama of a story and all the, even some of the things can, that can be corny, like heavy-handed foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Well, heavy-handed foreshadowing and just a wicked sense of humor. I mean, the the more that I follow my intuition, the more I laugh because there's just so many things that happen and it's almost like the universe is kind of playing with you or delighting you. So it's it's not, for me anyway, it's not always heavy-handed like bad things are coming. I also get foreshadowings of good things coming or, hey, you know, turn down this path. And then I meet someone who's just absolutely delightful just because I happen to take that path instead of the one that I was normally going to. But it it does make you kind of question free will. And I don't know, growing up, I was always just such a staunch defender of free will. And and I really want to believe in free will. Something in me just really wants to believe in that. But some of this stuff just kind of makes me go, I don't know. I think it's a little more complicated than that because there just seem like there are some things that take so much work to put together with all the intricate synchronicities and everything that clearly this didn't just happen. Oh, you're talking my life here. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, the way I put it is like the grand chess player, you know, is like putting these pieces all the setting the pieces up just for this like finale, you know, this moment of mm-hmm. of oomph, you know, like but every single thing had to be set in place and some of those pieces needed to be set in place 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, depending on how you unravel the the synchronistic package, you know. Mhm. Hey, I just, there's a, so you also do tarot readings and I have a funny story. Like there's a, there's a wonderful deck, very, I like the way it's illustrated. A woman named Kim Kranz illustrated a deck called the Wilderness Tarot. And they're mostly these black and white pen drawings. There's a little bit of color added, but the color is pretty muted and pretty toned down. I really like the the look of these cards and they all have animals and they're, and they're kind of a take on the standard tarot deck and, and, um, I was just getting, I was, and actually it's funny, it was right when I was completing the book you were in, right? As I was just getting ready to hand it off to the publisher, Richard Dolan, and I was just going through this thing where I was shuffling the deck, and I would, and I was, I wasn't doing a a spread, I would just pull out a single card, but I would shuffle the deck, shuffle the deck, shuffle the deck, pull out a single card. I pulled the Hermit 15 times in a row. (laughs) And when I wasn't pulling it, it was like I would be shuffling the deck and it would fall out. And it would be the hermit card. Uh-huh. And then also um, the two of wands was showing up a lot, too, in this. But but I got the hermit card 15 times in a row. And I feel like I got the I didn't keep count exactly. And I don't think I'm exaggerating. I know that's a kind of ridiculously high number, but I feel pretty strongly. That's oh, no, that kind of stuff happens. It, it happens. <laughs> and then the, the two of wands and, and the hermit card 15 times in a row. Wow. So are you wanting me to interpret that? or just... I am wanting you to interpret oh, that, Oh, yes. okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so if you, in the traditional uh, iconography, the hermit is 
is often an old man holding a, a lantern, oftentimes on a mountaintop or something. So it's like he's shining the light. He's he's gone into uh, into himself, into solitude. He's kind of like the wise elder coming out and shining the light from his experience. So the thing is with cards, so you have different decks, and there's kind of the general meaning, but the decks are also specific. So there's the illustrations. So you'd have to kind of see, do the illustrations say anything additional to you or slightly different? So the, so the illustration you know, of the hermit card for this woman's deck, the, the woman Kim Kranz who did the illustrations, is a tortoise. Okay with a lantern on its back. Okay. On its on the back of its shell, balanced on the back of its shell. It's a very simple, lovely, ink sketchy kind of illustration. Okay. And and so that that does have that idea of the lantern and tortoises live to be very old and you know the idea of of going into the shell and then coming out. So it it's pretty similar kind of energy with that, but I would say that that it took you a really long time to write the book and you had to spend a lot of time by yourself and right when you turned it in you're you're bringing that light out into the world. Uh so the the two of wands though, what's the illustration in that deck? I I know what it means in in the deck that I most common. Well, so the woman drew wands and they were just sticks. They were these rough sticks and they were kind of in a not a V shape, but an inverted V shape, like a like an arrow pointed upward. It was just sort of an arrow pointed upward on the horizon. You know what it looked like in a funny way? It looked like the the old uh, movie poster for Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where where it had that lonely highway in perspective. It looked like a the vanishing point. You know, the two sides of the highway, the vanishing point. Uh huh. Yeah. So in in a lot of decks, it's somebody holding wands and having the world in his hands. So the next card, the three of wands, is your ships are coming in, and the two of wands is right before that. So it's kind of like you're feeling good about it, you you think some good stuff is coming, it's probably on its way, but you don't, don't quite know yet, it's there yet. But I, I find it interesting that that particular deck kind of looks like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Well, someone else actually pointed that out to me. Okay. Yeah, another fellow I know who does who teaches a class in tarot reading. Uh huh. Because I called him right away, like, "What's going on?" And he just basically sometimes the deck messes with you. Just you know, be careful, don't. Uh... Well, it does mess with you if so. It's not uncommon for somebody to have a question and to keep pulling the same card and to keep pulling it, keep pulling it, keep pulling it, and then all of a sudden it's a different answer. And that's usually when someone books a session with me because they're like, I, I have to check with you because I don't know. And, and the deck does start to mess with you if you keep asking the same question. It will keep giving you the same answer and then eventually it, it doesn't. And to me, that's just an indicator of stop fixating on this. You know, go go do something else. But a lot of times people call me for a session then, and I'll pull the same card that they've been pulling. <laughs> They're like, that's what yeah. I've been getting. <laughs> so, well, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I when you're just doing a one-card spread, or, you know, it's not really a spread if you're just pulling one card, but when you're just doing one card, it's it's kind of like either a snapshot of your energy right in that moment or sort of what's hovering around you for energy, kind of if you continue on this trajectory, what's the energy? 
feel, I mean, I know for you, it, it took a long time to write your book and I know two books. Yeah. 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 And, and I know you've said that, that writing is not a speedy process for you and there is a lot of solitude involved, but I, I really, I mean, I wrote this in my review of your second book. It, it feels holy. Like it, it feels like something that the hermit came out on the mountain and, you know, was shining his light with it. And, and really your first book too. I think it opened up a discussion that needed to be had, even if the discussion is just happening within people themselves. Well, thank you for that, because it was kind of a, and I've said this before, like, um, I definitely wrote the book, right? So I actually pushed all the keys, and I had to grit my teeth, and I had to, like, you know, fact check things and footnote things and such. But to say it was channeled would be incorrect. But it was, it definitely felt like I was being guided from some higher source. Oh, for sure. And looking at your natal chart, there's just so many placements in there, including you've got Neptune right at the top, just like having the big picture overview and this kind of spiritual mysterious force in there. So, I mean, your your whole chart is like you're you're living it. I'm sure you'll live it in an even more expansive way, but your book was definitely something that, that you, I mean, all of your books really, but you were here to bring that information out into the world. Well, and I have to thank you too, because I mean, it didn't happen by accident. I mean, I had to really ask people. I had a lot of people say no, and I kind of pressed them and pressed them and pressed them, and finally they said yes. So I'm really <laughs> grateful for it's not just you, but and and I will also say it's not just you that went through. Um, that more with the second book, what was happening was there was a handful of people when I did the book. When we started talking, it's like a two-year process, two years back and forth, talking to people about their experiences. And then people would, at the first, say, well, I just, I don't think I've had these kind of contact experiences. And then we'd talk, and they'd tell me a different story and tell me another story. And and I was sending, the, which I did with you too, I would send them the chapter and say, okay, I want you to fact check this. I cannot publish this unless it's correct. And oftentimes it was very simple stuff. No, this happened in the morning, not in the afternoon. I'm like, okay, great, I'll change that. And, you know, a little simple stuff, but... What was also happening is people, when they would read their own story, they realized like, oh, I am involved in this. I am somehow connected with this. And I recognized that. And I took that very, very seriously. I mean, I, I really felt that I, I couldn't tell someone else's story without treating it as holy. I guess that's sort of what you said. Yeah, and, and for me, I know you recorded some of our stuff, but a lot of it was back and forth because... Through email, yeah. Yeah, through email. And for me, that's why when I tell the story, I always make it a lot less weird, I think. And, and I think that's just years of toning myself down because I'm always the strangest person in the room. And so, but when I write, I, it comes from a, a very, very honest place. And so I would email you, oh yeah, you know, here's a correction, but it, there would be like 15 paragraphs of, and then this happened and then I felt bad for you. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean, I, I, that's, that's how it all is. That's how everything is. I mean, you can't, once you like, once the sweater starts unraveling, it's just like, it. you just, you're, you're just, yeah. everything falls onto the table. Yeah. But there was something with the writing of it that that made it easier to tell somehow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you can really formalize your thoughts all alone. And sometimes when someone asks you a question, and I'm 
polite, right? You know, like I'm from Michigan. I'm like from the middle. Oh, you're from Michigan now too. You know what I mean? I'm in Michigan. Yep. Yeah. You just kind of, there's this polite thing where you just like, oh, I just, I don't want to like make my side. I don't want to seem to. And I undertell the stories and I go back to my original notes and I'm shocked at how like, oh, I, I can't believe I forgot that, you know? So, hey, I just watched, just leading up to this, there was a YouTube video that was, I think from 2012 or something like that. But you talked about your work as a medical intuitive and you you said there's pragmatic medical stuff you could address, but oftentimes it's a spiritual or an emotional issue that needs to be addressed. At one point you listed a whole bunch of things and you, at one point you said, which really struck me, people come to you with these medical issues and it's at a time when the universe is nudging you to follow your life path. And and you are ignoring or avoiding that, and that is what is keeping you ill. How often do you find that? Um, a lot, like a a lot, a lot. I mean, it, you have to realize that a lot of there's two different types of people that will tend to call me for a medical intuitive session. One are people that are really into this kind of stuff anyway, and if they get so much as a bump on the knee, they're like, "What does that mean?" And then there's the other types of people that they've tried everything. They've gone to all the doctors. Nobody can figure anything out. All their tests are inconclusive or they have a conclusive test, but the medicine's not working. And they sort of come to me on their knees like, okay, I give up. It must be something else. And I'm getting more and more of of the first type of people, but initially when I very first started doing this, it was a lot more the people that that were just kind of like, okay, I get it, I, uncle, you know, it, it must be something. It, Lyme disease tends to be one of those things, I was talking about it in the first part, where it tends to affect very intelligent and aware and, and oftentimes very successful people. And that's what it takes to get them to that point where where they feel broken enough to go, okay, I'll do the big change. It doesn't always have to be Lyme disease, though. So for some people, it's cancer. For some people, it's a brain injury. Um, a severe depression, yeah. Yeah, or, or extreme depression. I mean, it's it, it, it takes what it takes for, for each person. How do people find you if they want to get a hold of you? So I have a blog, which you can get to just by typing in ask LauraBruno.com. It's A-S-K, Laura is L-A-U-R-A, Bruno, B-R-U-N-O.com. Or it's, it's the same as LauraBruno.wordpress.com. That's actually the only place to find me. I used to have a lot of websites and everybody just read my blog. So I consolidated and that's where I am. And I guess that's how people find me. Are you working on any books right now? I am, actually. I'm working on a book called The Metaphysics of Lyme Disease, and I have I may be working on a Reiki book. I'm not sure. I'm kind of debating if, if that's going to happen or not. A publisher approached me, and we'll, just, we'll see if that is going to happen or not. But if that happens, it, it could be fun. Um, and then eventually I'm going to get into writing fiction again. That's great. That's wonderful. Hey, you wrote a book titled If I Only Had a Brain Injury. And is that book still available? It's available through me. It's out of print at the moment, but I still have copies. If you go on Amazon, it's, I checked on it this morning, it's like $154 or something. 
I have it for $17. <laughs> so um, just people can email me. Um, and, and I have another thing. If, if you have listeners that have Lyme disease, I put out a guided journal, um, a guided recovery journal called Lyme Journal, and that's on Amazon. It's just prompts. And it's, I'm hearing feedback from people that don't have Lyme disease that are using it anyway just because it helps them to get in touch with deeper aspects of themselves and really finding their true joy, finding those things that are really blocking them from living their full life. So that's available on Amazon. But for if I only had a brain injury, I, I would say contact me because it'll be a lot cheaper. Good, good. But this has been a delight. This has been a delight. Yeah, thank you. You're very welcome. And thank you so much. And, and I, um, I, I have a lot more questions than we could get to, and, and maybe there'll be a day when we'll have you back on. Great. I would like that. Thank you so much. All right. You take care. This is Mike, and I am chiming in after the editing. I said this at the beginning, and I'm going to repeat it here. I sort of took on the role of client in much of this interview, and Laura took on the role of therapist. Uh, that was a little bit selfish on my part, but I but I feel it's valuable to the audience, and it was certainly valuable to me. Uh, one thing I do need to apologize about is the retelling of the same story that I've repeated a few podcasts in a row. This is the story of my confirmation event from 2013. Now, this is obviously an important experience, and, and I'm trying to better understand it. And it was very helpful to have someone in Laura's position as an astrologer to help me wrestle with the strangeness of what happened on that day now over six years ago. Now, there's one thing that Laura mentioned in the show, and I want to clarify it here. She sent me an email, sort of out of the blue, a few weeks ago, asking about my date and time of birth because she wanted to do an astrology reading on me. Uh, I didn't ask for this. She just brought it up and, and requested it. Now, she was curious about my chart because of all the weirdness and the many, many synchronicities that took place during the time I was writing the chapter about her, and that involved a lot of back-and-forth correspondence. So just to be clear, I did not ask her. She asked me to do this astrology reading. Now, after she had completed that initial reading, I took it upon myself, and I got back to her, and I said, hey, could you look up one specific date for me? And that date was my confirmation event. She recognized that this had the potential to be very interesting, and she went ahead and did it. And she actually sent me some information from that, which I purposely did not read. But her take on it was essentially, wow. And when I received it and read her email, I just, I didn't really know that much about astrology. So all I could do was sort of say, let's talk about this in a recorded interview. And she was a little hesitant, but she said yes. And I'm very grateful. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.
I would like to take this final moment to thank Lauren Cutts for the intro and outro music, and also to thank Andrea Lisette Villiers on the gong.